0: Chapter Four Part One of The Betrothed This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Betrothed by Alessandro Manzoni. Chapter Four Part One the sun had scarcely risen above the horizon when father cristoforo left the convent of pescarenico and proceeded towards the cottage where he was expected pescarenico is a little town on the left bank of the adda or rather we should say of the lake a few paces below the bridge a group of houses inhabited for the most part by fishermen and adorned here and there with nets hung out to dry the convent was situated and the building still remains outside the town facing the entrance on the road that leads from lecco to bergamo the sky was serene and as the sun gradually emerged from behind the mountain the light descended from the summit of the opposite range spreading itself rapidly over the steeps and through the valleys while a soft autumnal breeze shaking from the boughs the withered leaves of the mulberry carried them away to fall at some distance from the tree in the vineyards on either hand the red leaves of various shades glittered on the still festooned branches and the newly made nets appeared dark and distinct among the fields of white stubble sparkling in the dew the scene was bright but the occasional sight of a human figure moving therein dispelled the cheerful thoughts which the scene was calculated to inspire at every step one met with pale and emaciated beggars either grown old in the business or reduced by the necessity of the times to ask alms they looked piteously at father cristoforo as they silently passed him and although as a capuchin never had any money they had nothing to hope from him yet they gave him a bow of gratitude for the alms which they had received or were going to solicit at the convent the sight of the laborers scattered over the fields had in it something still more mournful some were sowing seed but niggardly and unwillingly like a man who risks something he highly prizes others could with difficulty use the spade and warily overturn the sods the half-starved child holding by a cord the thin meagre cow and looking narrowly around hastily stooped to steal from it some herb as food for the family which hunger had taught them could be used to sustain life such sights as these at every step increased the sadness of the friar who even now had a presentiment in his heart that he was going to hear of some misfortune but why did he take so much thought for lucia and why at the first intimation of her wish did he attend to do it so diligently as it were a call from the father provincial and who was this father cristoforo it will be necessary to answer all these inquiries father cristoforo of was a man nearer sixty than fifty years of age his shaven head circled with a narrow line of hair like a crown according to the fashion of the capuchin tonsure was raised from time to time with a movement that betrayed somewhat of disdain and disquietude and then quickly sank again in thoughts of lowliness and humility his long gray beard covering his cheeks and chin contrasted markedly with the prominent features of the upper part of his face to which a long and habitual abstinence had rather given an air of gravity than effaced the natural expression his sunken eyes usually bent on the ground sometimes brightened up with a momentary fire like two spirited horses under the hand of a driver whom they know by experience they cannot overcome yet occasionally they indulge in a few gambols and prancings for which they are quickly repaid by a smart jerk of the bit father cristoforo had not always been thus nor had he always been cristoforo his baptismal name was ludovico he was the son of a merchant of—these asterisks are all inserted by the circumspection of our anonymous author, who, in his latter years being considerably wealthy and having only one son, had given up trade and retired as an independent gentleman. In his new state of idleness he began to entertain a great contempt for the time he had spent in making money and being useful in the world, Full of this fancy, he used every endeavour to make others forget that he had been a merchant. In fact, he wished to forget it himself. But the warehouse, the bales, the journal, the measure, were for ever intruding upon his mind, like the shade of Banquo to Macbeth, even amidst the honours of the table and the smiles of flatterers it is impossible to describe the care of these poor mortals to avoid every word that might appear like an allusion to the former condition of their patron one day to mention a single instance towards the end of dinner in the moment of liveliest and most unrestrained festivity when it would be difficult to say which was the merriest the company who emptied the table or the host who filled it he was rallying with friendly superiority one of his guests the most prodigious eater in the world He, meaning to return the joke with the frankness of a child, and without the least shade of malice, replied, Ah, I'm listening like a merchant. The poor offender was at once conscious of the unfortunate word that had escaped his lips. He cast a different glance towards his patron's clouded face, and each would gladly have resumed his former expression. But it was impossible. The other guests, occupied themselves each in his own mind in devising some plan of remedying the mistake and making a diversion but the silence thus occasioned only made the error more apparent each individual endeavoured to avoid meeting his companion's eye each felt that all were occupied in the thought they wished to conceal cheerfulness and sociability had fled for that day and the poor man not so much imprudent as unfortunate never again received an invitation in this manner ludovico's father passed his latter years continually subject to annoyances and perpetually in dread of being despised never reflecting that it was no more contemptuous to sell than to buy and that the business of which he was now so much ashamed had been carried on for many years before the public without regret He gave his son an expensive education, according to the judgment of the times, and as far as he was permitted by the laws and customs of the country, he procured him masters in the different branches of literature, and in the exercises of horsemanship, and at last died, leaving the youth heir to a large fortune. Ludovico had acquired gentlemanly habits and feelings, and the flatterers by whom he had been surrounded had accustomed him to be treated with the greatest respect. But when he endeavored to mix with the first men of the city, he met with very different treatment to what he had been accustomed to, and he began to perceive that, if he would be admitted into their society as he desired, he must learn, in a new school, to be patient and submissive, and every moment to be looked down upon and despised. Such a mode of life accorded neither with the education of Ludovico nor with his disposition, and he withdrew from it highly piqued still he absented himself unwillingly it appeared to him that these ought really to have been his companions only he wanted them to be a little more tractable with this mixture of dislike and inclination not being able to make them his familiar associates yet wishing in some way to be connected with them he endeavored to rival them in show and magnificence thus purchasing for himself enmity jealousy and ridicule his disposition open and at the same time violent, had occasionally engaged him in more serious contentions. He had a natural and sincere horror of fraud and oppression, a horror rendered still more vivid by the rank of those whom he saw daily committing them, exactly the persons he hated to appease or to excite all these passions at once. He readily took the part of the weak and oppressed, assumed the office or arbitrator and intermeddling in one dispute, drew himself into others, so that by degrees he established his character as a protector of the oppressed and a vindicator of injuries. The employment, however, was troublesome, and it needed not be asked whether poor Ludovico met with enemies on toward accidents and vexations of spirits besides the external war he had to maintain he was continually harassed by internal strifes for in order to carry out his undertakings not to speak of such as never were carried out he was often obliged to make use of subterfuges and have recourse to violence which his conscience could not approve he was compelled to keep around him a great number of bravos and as much for his own security as to ensure vigorous assistance he had to choose the most daring or in other words the most unprincipled and thus to live with villains for the sake of justice yet on more than one occasion either discouraged by ill-success or disquieted by imminent danger wearied by a state of constant defence disgusted with his companions and in apprehension of dissipating his property which was daily drawn upon largely either in a good cause or in support of his bold enterprises more than once he had taken a fancy to turn friar for in these times this was the commonest way of escaping difficulties this idea would probably have been only a fancy all his life had it not been changed to a resolution by a more serious and terrible accident than he had yet met with he was walking one day along the streets in company with a former shopkeeper whom his father had raised to the office of steward and was followed by two bravos the steward whose name was cristoforo was about fifty years old devoted from childhood to his master whom he had known from his birth and by whose wages and liberality he was himself supported with his wife and eight children ludovico perceived a gentleman at a distance an arrogant and overbearing man whom he had never spoken to in his life but his cordial enemy to whom ludovico heartily returned the hatred for it is a singular advantage of this world that men may hate and be hated without knowing each other the signor followed by four bravos advanced haughtily with a proud step his head raised and his mouth expressive of insolence and contempt they both walked next to the wall which be it observed, was on ludovico's right hand and this according to custom gave him the right how far people will go to pursue the right of a case of not moving from the said wall to give place to any one to which custom at that time great importance was attached the signor on the contrary in virtue of another custom held that this right ought to be conceded to him in consideration of his rank and that it was ludovico's part to give way so that in this as it happens in many other cases two opposing customs clashed the question of which was to have the preference remaining undecided thus giving occasions of dispute whenever one hard head chanced to come in contact with another of the same nature the foes approached each other both close to the wall like two walking figures in bas relief and on finding themselves face to face the signor eyeing ludovico with a haughty air and imperious frown said in a corresponding tone of voice go to the outside you go yourself replied ludovico the path is mine with men of your rank the path is always mine yes if the arrogance of men of your rank were a law for men of mine the two trains of attendants stood still each behind its leader fiercely regarding each other with their hands on their daggers prepared for battle while the passers-by stopped on their way and withdrew into the road placing themselves at a distance to observe the issue the presence of these spectators continually animating the punctilio of the disputants to the outside vile mechanic or I'll quickly teach you the civility you owe a gentleman. You lie. I am not vile. You lie if you say I lie. This reply was pragmatical. And if you were a gentleman as I am, added the signor, I would prove with the sword that you are the liar. That is a capital pretext for dispensing with the trouble of maintaining the insolence of your words by your deeds throw this rascal in the mud said the signor turning to his followers we shall see said ludovico immediately retiring a step and laying his hand on his sword rash man cried the other drawing his own i will break this when it is stained with your vile blood at these words they flew upon one another the attendants of the two parties fighting in defence of their masters the combat was unequal both in number and because ludovico aimed rather at parrying the blows of and disarming his enemy than killing him while the signor was resolved upon his foe's death at any cost ludovico had already received a blow from the dagger of one of the bravos in his left arm and a slight wound on his cheek and his principal enemy was pressing on to make an end of him when cristoforo seeing his master in extreme peril went behind the signor with his dagger who turning all his fury upon his new enemy ran him through with his sword at this sight ludovico as if beside himself buried his own in the body of his provoker and laid him at his feet almost at the same moment as the unfortunate cristoforo the followers of the signor seeing him on the ground immediately betook themselves to flight those of ludovico wounded and beaten having no longer any one to fight with and not wishing to be mingled in the rapidly increasing multitude fled the other way and ludovico was left alone in the midst of the crowd with these two ill-fated companions lying at his feet what's the matter there's one there are two they have pierced his body who has been murdered that tyrant oh holy mary what a confusion seek and you shall find one moment pays all so he is gone what a blow it must be a serious affair and this other poor fellow mercy what a sight save him save him it will go hard with him too see how he is mangled he is covered with blood escape poor fellow escape take care you are not caught these words predominating over the confused tumult of the crowd expressed their prevailing opinion while assistance accompanied the advice the scene had taken place near a capuchin convent an asylum in those days as every one knows impenetrable to bailiffs and all that complication of persons and things which went by the name of justice the wounded and almost senseless murderer was conducted or rather carried by the crowd and delivered to the monks with the recommendation he is a worthy man who has made a proud tyrant cold he was provoked to it and did it in his own defence Ludovico had never before shed blood and although homicide was in those times so common that every one was accustomed to hear of and witness it yet the impression made on his mind by the sight of one man murdered for him and another by him was new and undescribable disclosure of sentiments before unknown the fall of his enemy the sudden alteration of the features passing in a moment from a threatening and furious expression to the calm and solemn stillness of death was a sight that instantly changed the feelings of the murderer he was dragged to the convent almost without knowing where he was or what they were doing to him and when his memory returned he found himself on a bed in the infirmary attended by a surgeon-friar for the capuchins generally had one in each convent who was applying lint and bandages to the two wounds he had received in the contest a father whose special office it was to attend upon the dying and who had frequently been called upon to exercise his duties in the street was quickly summoned to the place of combat he returned a few minutes afterwards and entering the infirmary approached the bed where ludovico lay comfort yourself said he he has at least died calmly, and has charged me to ask your pardon and to convey his to you. These words aroused poor Ludovico, and awakened more vividly and distinctly the feelings which confusedly crowded upon his mind. Sorrow for his friend, consternation and remorse for the blow that had escaped his hand, and at the same time a bitterly painful compassion for the man he had slain. And the other anxiously demanded he of the friar. The other had expired when I arrived. End of chapter 4, part 1